It's good to be with you again this evening. I trust that the Lord will really richly bless us as we spend time together in his presence and as we lift our hearts in worship to him. In Isaiah chapter 40, um, the prophet writes in this way. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. And that's the assurance that such a great and mighty God gives to weak creatures like us. I wonder if we could turn to Psalm 34, the 34th Psalm. I'm not going to read the whole of it, um, but beginning to read at verse 15. This is a, a lovely psalm of encouragements. And yet the circumstances out of which it was written are most strange. The, uh, the suffix to, the, to the, the psalm says, A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. And yet as you read through the psalm, you realise there are many encouragements here that David was able to bring out of knowing the relationship that he had with his God and as he faced some challenging circumstances. But we'll pick up the reading at verse 15 of this psalm and we read, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Some wonderful statements of encouragement, aren't there, in that, in that psalm, and uh, especially in those verses that we've, re- we've read. And they just encourage us to just keep looking to the Lord, because as we saw from the outset, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. And none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Well, I wonder if you turn with me to the second book of Chronicles. 2 Chronicles and chapter 15. And uh, we're going to look at the first 15 verses of that chapter. 2 Chronicles 15 and verses 1 to 15. As is always the case when you read a piece of Bible narrative, you you realise that you're jumping into the flow of history 
And there's an awful lot that comes before and comes after that it helps us to understand the significance of the passage. And I'll try and give you a little bit of help um, when we uh, come to looking at the word together. Um, But I hope that the story itself, or the part of the story that we're going to look at, will be a blessing to you in and of itself. There's some wonderful encouragements in these verses for us. 2 Chronicles 15, and beginning to read at verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came upon Atsariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. Asa was the king in Judah at that time. And said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Uh, and then Atzariah seems to be speaking about uh, a previous time, uh, probably a time during the days of the judges. He says, for a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation, and city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their hearts and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. And uh, we thank God for the truth of his word. 
Well, the particular verses in those 15 that we read that I shall be emphasising are verses, verses 6 and 7. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be re- rewarded. And the theme that I've, I've given to the, the message for this evening is this. It is God who troubles the nations with adversity, or it could be translated distress, but he is with those who are with him. It's God who troubles the nations with adversity, but, it is, but he is with those who are with him. <clears throat> you don't need me to tell you that we're living in troubled times. There are days, aren't there, when you think, well, I just don't want to listen to the news today because it's just so depressing and so disturbing and so discouraging. What are we going to hear next? And it's not just the news about things here in in Great Britain, is it? It's what's happening in Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine. It's what's happening in the Middle East. It's the seeming escalation of events there with Iran apparently involved somewhere in the sidelines and uh, the Americans and us bombing things in Syria and Iraq. There's still an awful civil war going on in Myanmar. Um, We know that there's been terrible violence against the predominantly Christian community in Manipur, in northeast India. And you can start to multiply it. We know that there is um, terrible things going on in parts of the Congo. Such a vast country, you can fit all of Western Europe in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's a vast country. And yet within that country, there are areas where the violence is just unbelievable. Loads of refugees come over the border from, <coughs> excuse me, from the Congo into, into western Uganda. And it's causing huge pressures. <coughs> excuse me. To the communities there. <coughs> and I don't know whether you noticed it, notice it. But the words that we've got there in verse 6. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity. Is certainly the first part of the verse. It is something that we can say well it applies to the times in which we live. And yet it would seem that Azariah the prophet was actually speaking about the times in the Judges. But he was raising this in King Asa's time because he was really concerned that there was a very real danger that even the, the southern kingdom of, of Judah could slip back into such times again. And so although there were things that could encourage Atzariah in what was happening under Asa's reign, there was also the potential, as he saw it, uh, for things to go from bad to worse. And we know that Jesus said about the last days, the days in which we're living, that he says, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places, 
All these are the beginnings of birth pains. And so in those words, Jesus is, is really giving us an encouragement to recognise that yes, things will be bad, but understand that these things must happen, and understand that these things are actually only the beginnings of birth pains. There is something else yet to come. And you, you might think about birth pains in terms of the, the pain that they give and the difficulty and the struggle. But on the other hand, when you think of birth pains, you also think of what's going to be the consequence. The birth, the coming into this world of, of a new life. So it's full of hope, full of expectation, uh, full of promises and longings fulfilled. But what is true about what Jesus says, what is true about what Zariah says, is that we must understand that this is all under the sovereignty of God. It's not chaotic. It's not human nature having its own way, bringing about all these problems as if it were that God didn't care about what was happening in the world at all. And that's why we're told to view these times as under the sovereignty of God and to recognise, as verse 7 tells us, that there is a source of courage for the fearful, there is strength for the weak, and there is assured blessing that our labours for the Lord are not in vain. They will be rewarded. And that, I just find that is just so encouraging. Because when you look at things... You can feel so discouraged. You can feel, well, Lord, where is the gospel advance? Uh, you, You can think, well, where is the restraint upon evil men? And yet God is telling us through his word that even in the darkest of times, things are not out of control. There is a purpose that God has and things that he will accomplish. Let me give you just a little bit of of background, historical background to this this passage. I don't want to dwell on it at any great length. But Asa's an interesting king. He was the the king of Judah. And the Bible tells us in chapter 14 and verse 2 that he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's the Bible's summary of Asa. And actually, when you read on in the story, if you go on through to the end of chapter 15 and into chapter 16, what you discover is that there are times when he, it seems, is far from good and doesn't seem to walk in the ways of the Lord. And that may be something that Atsariah had, had, had as a concern, which was why he brought the prophecy that he did to Asa. His his reign was initially marked by a commitment to spiritual reform. The land was at rest, we're told in chapter 14 and verse 5. And then even when Zerah the Cushite marched out against him him, with a vast army of about a million soldiers, I mean, it's not not just 20,000 or a few hundred thousand, but marched out against him with an army that was estimated at a million, he sought the Lord. And God worked on his part, and the, the Cushites and Zerah were thoroughly defeated. So you would think that this was a time when there was great encouragement. They were looking to the Lord, they got a good king, and everything was going very well. But all the time, there's this sense of an undercurrent 
that this may not last. That this is something which we need to hear what God is saying to us. So we're not distracted, not deflected. We're, we're not moved aside from walking in the right way. And uh, as we see in chapter 15 and in the section that we've, we've read, when Atzariah comes to Asa, he listens to the word of God. I mean, how many kings can you put in that category? There were very few, even in the southern kingdom, who were prepared to listen to God's word. He listened to God's word, and the people came together. He even had people coming from the northern kingdom, because they recognised that Asa was following in the ways of the Lord, and they made a covenant together with the Lord to seek him with all their heart and soul. And this they did. And we're told in verse 15 that the Lord blessed him and the whole nation with rest. <coughs> so that's something of the context in which all of this is happening. So what are the things that we can learn from this passage and its context? Well, firstly, a point that in passing I've already made. And that is that God is sovereign over the events in the nations. And that he's not passively sovereign. He doesn't sit on a throne as king and just watch what's happening, knowing that ultimately everything's going to be answerable to him. The Bible makes it clear that God in his sovereignty is thoroughly active. Which is why Atzariah tells Asa that God troubles the nations. He doesn't just say God allows the nations to be troubled. He says, no, it's God who is troubling the nations with every kind of adversity. And even in those times, these distresses not, distresses not only included wars and rumours of wars, but also, as today, natural disasters and an, an upsurge in immorality and godlessness. And God's word was withdrawn. Do you see what it says in verse 3? That in those times they were without a priest to teach and without the law. And this was again part of how God was active amongst his people. If they were going to be like the nations around them, he would withdraw from them his word of truth. And that's the worst consequence of man's sin even today, isn't it? Romans chapter 1 tells us. That because of the sinfulness and the wickedness of men in these last days, God, is, we're told, just gives them over to the sinful lusts and desires of their hearts. And we're told that his wrath is revealed against that sinfulness from heaven. I, I was struck by the fact that in um, John Newton's uh, day, he actually wrote a hymn. And a little bit like verse 6 being relevant to the times in which we live. This hymn is also uh, full of truth which we could sing today and think it had been written for today. He says, here, talking about the UK, many godly people dwelt. As once the glorious gospel shone, long uninvaded we had felt that you had made our cause your own. But heaven... And earth have clearly heard our wild rejection of that love. We, though like children, kindly reared, ungrateful and rebellious prove. Your grace despised, your power defied, 
and legions of the vilest crimes, the foulest sins of lust and pride, all greatly mark the present times. That was the 18th century, not the 21st century in the UK. So we see the way in which, as the scriptures tell us, and there's nothing new under the sun, that when people turn their back upon God and upon his word, then you will see this kind of spiritual and moral declension. So it shouldn't surprise us, because the sinful human heart is the same in every generation and every culture. That was why I emphasised in the opening part of our service this evening that God is the God who does not change. But we are the ones who change. The things of this world is what changes. And the impact and influence of unrestrained sin is the same in all parts of the world and in every period of history. And so God's Judgment is the same too. And God troubles the nations with every kind of adversity. So what is happening in the Ukraine is not out of control. What is happening in the Middle East is not out of control. Even what is happening, even though there's terrible targeting of Christians in Myanmar, it is not out of control. And ultimately... All those who are acting cruelly, who are acting unrighteously and unjustly, will be brought to account. That may not happen in their lifetime in this world, um, but they will ultimately have to stand before the judge of all the earth. And as scripture says, he will do right. But at the same time, within what is happening, the purposes of God are being accomplished I'm sure, like us, you have picked up stories, maybe through Slavic Gospel Association or others, working in Ukraine. The remarkable way in which they're having tremendous gospel opportunities in eastern, in eastern Ukraine. They're, they're able to distribute Bibles in a way that they've never been able to do it before. People are clamouring for Bibles and New Testaments. Now, you wouldn't want to wish the awful things that are happening to them upon them, but nevertheless, within all that turmoil and violence, God is at work. And he's bringing people to himself. Um, if you can get onto the Slavic Gospel Association website, it's, it's worth listening to Igor Bandura, who is the head of the Baptist churches in Ukraine, and listen to some of the stories that he's able to to tell you of what God is doing there. And there are Christians who are standing firm in Israel and in Gaza. Christians from a Jewish background, Christians from an Arab background, Christians from a Palestinian <coughs> background, who are standing firm and taking the gospel opportunities in the midst of all the turmoil of that situation. And the media will never report that. They're not interested in that. It's uh, of no consequence to them. All they like to report is when things are not as they should be amongst Christians. They like reporting that. And yet, God is at work and he's accomplishing his purposes. Do you remember what Peter said about the religious leaders who were involved in the false accusation and then the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
He said, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Does that mean those religious leaders, because they fulfilled God's purposes, got off the hook? Of course it doesn't. They will still have to face the judgment of God for the actions that they took and the things that they said. But nevertheless, the will of God was fulfilled. You see, Peter understood that even in the face of a great evil, God was accomplishing an even, an infinitely greater good. God is sovereign over all events. He's working out his eternal purposes and they will all ultimately redound to his glory and praise. And we can know rest for our soul in such troubled times because we know that God's sovereign. And this sovereign God is our Father in heaven and he knows how to care for and provide for his people. That's the first thing. God is found by that God is sovereign over all that is taking place, even in our troubled world. Secondly, I want you to notice that God is found by those who earnestly seek him. Found by those who earnestly seek him. This is something that is guaranteed in scripture in more than one place. But that seeking does have to be genuine. It does have to be sincere. It does have to be without ulterior motive. Note carefully what Azariah the prophet says in in verse 2. He says this. Hear me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And this seeking after God is not because God likes playing games with us and hiding himself from us. No, it's our sin that separates us from God that makes us spiritually blind so we cannot see him or the things that he is accomplishing. But when we're prepared to see that sin properly dealt with and we seek after God's mercy and we trust him because we know that he is sovereign God and he knows how to work out his purposes then he will be found by us and we will know that he is for us and that he will accomplish his purposes it's only as we seek the Lord in the way that he has appointed that we really will know that God is with us and God is for us. So that means, in the passage that we have here, the implication of verse 4 is that the people had to admit their own failure and repent and turn away from the things that they themselves had been doing and turn to the Lord to seek him. They needed to be a people from verse 4 as well who knew a true fear of the Lord and his holiness. And we see, don't we, that Asa sought to obey the laws and commands of the Lord. And he challenged the people to do the same. That's evident in verse 4 in chapter 14. We need to be earnest in prayer, knowing both our own weakness and yet God's mighty power. You see, when Asa and the people were confronted with this Zerah the Cushite and his million strong troops, what did they do? Well, verse 11 in chapter 14 tells us, And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, 
It is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. They were so earnest in prayer. We need to remember that that God has revealed himself through his word. And in these last days, through his son. And therefore be those who acknowledge fully who Jesus is. And what he has done for us. And the nature of the new covenant relationship that we've been brought into with God through his son. And that means that we must only rely on the God-given way for our sin to be dealt with. And that's why I think it's significant, and you may have noticed as I read it, I emphasised it, that in chapter 15 and verse 11, we're told that... um, he restored the, sorry, verse 8, isn't it? He restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. He not only dealt with the false gods and their altars, but he recognised that the true altar had to be restored because that was the God-given way under the old covenant that they could know peace with God. That was the place where they could deal with their sin. And of course, it's that altar that points forward To the finished work of the Lord Jesus. We don't need an altar like that anymore. Because under the new covenant we have one who has offered the perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice that's been accepted because we know that the Lord Jesus is raised from the dead. And is seated on high. And the Lord is looking for us to be sincere and serious about our relationship with him. And uh, we see that in verse 12. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. They'd had enough of being those who are half-hearted. And then we can know the comforting assurance that God is with us. That's what verse 10, verse 2 is, is assuring us, that if we seek him... He will be found. And it's then that we can know that rest for the soul. It's then that we can know that God will accomplish his purposes. And that he will bring glory to his name. And fulfill what he has said he will do. (coughs) Sorry about this cough. But let me draw to a close as we go to the third thing that I want you to notice from this passage. And that is that God strengthens those who seek him and he gives them peace. God strengthens those who seek him and he gives them peace. Having encouraged Asa and Judah to be serious about seeking him, the Lord challenged them to be strong And not to give up. Do you see what it says in verse 7? He says, be strong and do not let your hands be weak. Asa was not to give up the spiritual reforms that he was implementing in Judah and Jerusalem. He was not to give up on trusting the Lord. He was not to become complacent 
about trusting the Lord. Well, look what the Lord did when Zerah and his million came against us. If that's the kind of God that we've got, we can trust him for whatever else comes along. And we don't need to be too concerned about maintaining our relationship with him. No. He had to continue to be serious about his commitment to trusting the Lord. And we're told that Asa and the people took the Lord at his word. In verse 15 we're told they sought God eagerly. They had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. And they weren't to find strength within themselves. Uh, I was listening to the radio on Friday, I think it must have been. And you know in the, in the 8 o'clock uh, news on Radio 4, part of the way through, uh, they have a, a thought for the day. And they had um, a, a Hindu scholar who was speaking. And it was just all such mumbo-jumbo. But within it, she was encouraging people to find rest by drawing up the resources from within them to be able to face the challenges of life. I thought, what utter bunkum and nonsense. None of us have got resources for that from within us. We need a resource outside that is stronger than us to give us the strength that we need to be able to, to face these times. And we're told that as they trusted him, he did give them strength to press on in the relationship with him. And so the Reformation continued. And if you read on from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, Asa had to be very brave because he also had to deal with his mother-in-law. Uh, sorry, his mother, uh, the mother of Asa the king, uh, Maaka, who was a, a wicked woman and had brought much uh, pagan uh, influence into the nation. But as Asa remained faithful to the Lord, so he was able even to press on to accomplish that reformation. And as he did this, we're told that the Lord rewarded him with rest all around. And it's the same for us in the days in which we're living. And as we face the challenges of a world where the Lord is increasingly rejected and human ingenuity and resources are trusted instead. If we're the Lord's people, we must never forget that it is God, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who strengthens those who seek him and he gives them peace. So here we have a passage that comes from several millennia ago of a real situation in which you would have thought it was relatively easy for the people to trust God because they had seen such a recent evidence of God's mighty power exercised on their part. And yet where the prophet, under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, recognised that that was still on the edge. It was still something in which they could become complacently confident rather than fully trusting in the Lord. And he exhorted them to hear what God had to say to them. He reminded them of the dangers that the nation had gone through during the days of the judges and called upon them to truly trust the Lord their God. And as they did, 
So God continued with them. And they were able to accomplish far more than they might have imagined. And it's the same for us today. We can read of the great things that God has done. We can marvel at the mighty works of the Lord. But we can't take his work on our behalf as he seeks to strengthen and equip and enable his people as something that we can take for granted. We've got to be a people who are earnest in our relationship with him and seek his face. And like uh, Asa there back in chapter 14 and verse 11, to cry out to the Lord, recognising that there is nothing that is impossible with him. And unless he intervenes for us, then nothing will be accomplished. Can we draw comfort from this? Well, we do need to be able to draw comfort from the Saviour's sovereign rule. As Ephesians 1.11 reminds us, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Have we that assurance that we've been united to Christ through repentance and faith? Do we know that we have been brought into that right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is with us? And he will be until the end of our days by the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. And do we know that our source of strength for today and all our tomorrows is in him who gives us peace? To know these things was the desire of the Lord for Asa and the people of Judah in these bygone days. And it's God's desire for his people today. So let us be people who truly and earnestly and eagerly seek the Lord to walk in his ways with all our heart and soul. For, as verse 7 says, your work shall be rewarded. God promises that to his faithful people. Let's pray.